Good evening, Ben. How are you doing? Uh, very well, thank you. Yeah, yeah it's quite yeah. a day. Quiet Ill. day. Well, mm. working, but... Working. Um, yeah, my day is fine, fine. Still not boozing. It's been... I'm successful at the moment, so far. Yeah. Nearly there, Good. though. Month, another month to go, then we're done. <laughs> and then we, could change, we need to change the logo, don't we? It's got beer all over our logo on the podcast, so... I thought you said you didn't want to change it. That's no, the... let's not change it, actually. Yeah, that, yeah that's right, Matt. Just change it. No, yeah, I, I yeah. do sometimes feel it's off-putting because it's yeah, it's not just about drinking, although there is sometimes alcohol involved. do like to drink sometimes. Um, what's, what are we uh, talking about today, Ben? Uh, we're going to be talking about the refugee and asylum policy, Matt. Yes. Like I've trailed several times. Finally, we're going to actually follow up one of our little trails. So, And we've got uh, Louise Calvi here, refugee and asylum spe- specialist. Uh-huh. Good evening, Louise. Good, good evening. It's lovely to uh, it's lovely to be on. Thank you very much. So, Hello, um, I thought to kick things off, I'd ask about um, the fact that we, isn't it a bit odd that we've got a government the priorities are <laughs> the priorities are have inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt, cut waiting lines, and stop the births. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now they've got this, they're buying, they bought two barges now. So the, the, the policy essentially is stop the boats. But if the, you can't stop the boats, put the people on those boats on to really big boats that are kind of prison like. Different boats. Not prisons. But yeah, stop the boats or put them on bigger boats. Uh, <laughs> what's going on? It's like something's not working right here, is it? It's ludicrous. I did, it wasn't a question there. It was more of just a <laughs> hole of despair, really. I lost myself. I was trying to come up with a question, and then it just steered off into what is, what is all that about? <laughs> what are the kind of conditions that we're looking at? On, on the, um, they're talking about putting them on barges. They're putting them in hotels, and then the people in hotels are getting accused of, you know, being being looked after by the government. And mm. uh, there was that gotcha on uh, on uh, Richard Tice gotcha, wasn't there? He was like, ah, leeching off and complaining about all these, you know. All was, the, I mean, that was, that was just, that was just, well, wasn't it? I, nauseating. Um, I, I, I felt, I was furious when I watched that. You know, that poor guy didn't have a clue, did he? He didn't have a clue who Richard Tice was. He didn't understand the agenda at all. And, yeah, it clearly identifiable, his location clearly identifiable. Uh, so it was a mixture between fury and just stomach-churning nausea around it, to be honest. I thought it was really appalling. Um, yeah, I mean... You that's know, where we it, are, though, term at the moment, isn't it? That's where we... That's That kind of thing is is sort of normal thing to do, apparently. Yeah, yeah. It, the, the dehumanization that 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 are you know some of the highest office holders in our country, the Home Secretary, has ushered in that that creates the environment where people like Richard Tice feel it's okay to do that. It's okay to shove a camera in someone's face without any meaningful consent. And paint them, paint them as being somehow freeloading. And I think we need to strip it back. You know, as we know, people in the asylum system will wait for years at the moment, um, record backlogs, 
um, without the right to work. So what do you expect them to do? What, what, what do people expect them to do? They, they can't earn any money. They're legally not entitled. And then they're told that they're freeloading. Um, you know, that situation in London, I was actually involved um, at the back end of that, supporting a few of the people that were trying to help. Um, what actually happened there and what you didn't see in that awful interview, I'm not even going to call it an interview, it was just an ambush, wasn't it? Um, yes, that's a good the, word for it. The, um, those, those guys had been shoved into that hotel and were being asked, four of them were being asked to share single rooms with one bed. Underneath that story, what we have is a private company who are contracted by the Home Office, making an absolute fortune. Shareholders and profit margins sitting at the heart of that, um, making a fortune from, from the provision of, of Home Office accommodation for asylum seekers. And the best they can do is shove people into rooms designed, shove four people into rooms designed for one person. And then when those humans say, nah, no, that's not right. We, you know, we can't live like that. Um, they've got Rich Dice standing down there going, <laughs> oh, are you ungrateful? Oh, is this not good enough for you? No, it's not good enough. It's not good enough for anyone. And you know what? It shouldn't be good enough for Richard Dice that his taxpayers' money, his money is being is going to those private shareholders for the provision of crap accommodation for people mm. frankly that's um, clearly a, a failure of the of the state to be not processing their claims and having to house them and pay private contractors to to yeah. house them it's, it's, i mean that back, that backlog's huge and Rish, rishi sunak said um that he, the backlog had reduced by 17000 since uh, december um not true, not true. What he's done is he's looked at one statistic in terms of the legacy backlog. The legacy backlog has reduced in 17,000 since September, December, but the overall backlog has actually grown since December, despite that 17,000. Um, just last month, the backlog grew by 500. Uh, so again, you're seeing government cherry picking um, some of those statistics to support the narrative that they're trying to build, to support the 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 anti-migrant stunts that they're pulling, misleading the public around the fact that they're not making asylum decisions. People are waiting years stuck in this hellish limbo without the right to work and without ever knowing if they're ever going to get status, shunted around hotels like cattle, and all the while, for every single application that's sitting in that backlog, we've got private housing companies making a fortune. That's the story that we should be talking about. Those are the people that we should be angry at, not the individual um, or chap that's stuck in that situation. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely sick, isn't it? It makes your blood boil. It really does. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the what you mentioned around like the the dehumanisation of it, and like the um, noticed, you know, uh, a few like articles recently about. Oh, but there was one at the top of like the BBC News website, which was talking about a couple whose wedding was at risk because mm. the, the hotel 
uh, was going to be taking migrants in and it meant that they wouldn't be able to have their wedding at this hotel. And it was all about the, how sad it was for this couple. Oh, it's like, what, so these fucking people have somewhere to live? Is that, uh, oh, it's your fucking wedding. I don't give a shit about your wedding. It's no sick. one, it, you know, not one person in that hotel wants to be in that hotel. Every person that I meet in my working day, or the first question that they'll ask is, do you know when I will get a decision? And why won't they let me work? That those, those are the first, the first and second question. That's always what you hear. When will I get my decision? Why won't they let me work? And I can't answer either of those questions. And the fact that our asylum process doesn't give us the ability to simply tell a human when reasonably they might have their asylum decision and why they're prevented, legally prevented from working and paying tax, contributing, taking care of their family. What they want to do is get a job, get the hell out of the hotel and go and sort themselves out. They're living on £9 a week in that hotel. Mm. £9, I, I mean, I couldn't live on £9 a week. You top up your phone, that's your money gone. You a bus journey, your money's gone. Um, so yeah, it's it's it's. it's, it's saying they're not allowed to work. So we can accuse them of freeloading while not allowing yeah. them to work. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make, and that's why I, I. That's why I think if you if you strip it all back, if you strip back the arguments and you get down to the brass tacks of actually what happens in the asylum system. Your Richard Tices of the world don't make any sense. It defies all logic because their platforms aren't logical ones. They're idealistic. They're, they're, it's built on ideology. And their ideology is fundamentally anti-migrant mm. um, with a big pinch of racism there. Um, and the really worrying thing is that seems to be moving into our mainstream political leadership because all of government proposals, when you when you step them end to end, Rwanda, stop the boats, uh, put people on barges, hugely expensive. None of that is going to clear the backlog. None of that's going to get people going. There's no practical sense in any of it. You're continuing to not to, de to deny people the right to work and therefore the right to pay tax. So what's it really about? It's about taking migrants as almost like punch puppets. Let's just hang them out there, keep punching at them. It will distract people from all of the failings that we've got in the rest of our policy departments, um, whilst also appealing to that anti-migrant agenda, which is often associated with you know, the far, far right of our political spectrum. Um, and that that's the really, it seems to have crept into the mainstream. And actually, when you look at a lot of the opposition, it, it, it's got similar threads of keep migration down, lower net migration. You know, Keir Starmer saying government have lost control of immigration. It's, it's, a, it's a chilling sort of harmonising of that anti-migrant rhetoric, that, that always constant search for how can we keep people out, rather than saying, 
how can we bring people in in the safest way in in a way that's going to let them really kick into their lives in the uk get working learn english um and fully integrate in the way that we know migrants can and want to that's the opposition that we need to be hearing and we're not really at the moment yeah i mean it's it there is obviously i mean talking a bit about the kind of humanitarian aspect of it of like treating people like cattle and and the way yeah we speak about the policy as something separate from humans and their lives um but like economically it doesn't make any sense either does it i mean we're not benefiting like you, you want you want immigration so people can come in and benefit your country benefit your economy you're not letting people work so you're not letting people pay their tax um so you're losing all of that tax revenue but also the more damaging you make the asylum journey, the longer you keep people in that limbo, that awful limbo, um, throwing them on barges where there's so many, so many welfare concerns, the more you torture them from a sort of mental health perspective, a mental health crisis in the asylum system is off the scale, um, the, the, more, the less likely it is that they're going to be able to um, launch into life after that asylum decision. They're going to need a lot of recovery from the damage inflicted by the asylum system in the UK on their mental health and emotional well-being. So you've got that damage to that sort of ta tax revenue. Um, the human damage is bad enough, but damage to that, you know, that, that, that you we're talking about cost effectiveness. But also, you're spending an awful lot of money on that cruelty, cruelty costs. So I think the BBC um, showed that uh, internal government projections are that the Rwanda plan is going to cost anything from three to six billion pound a year over the next two years. We've given, is it half a million to France? Um, and the hotels are costing us over six million pound a day. That those are lots and lots of very very scary figures, and that's in a, that's just the hotels costing over six million a day. We're already committed to those accommodation contracts um, with Serco, with with Clear Springs Ready Homes, and with Mears. They're already getting millions of pounds of taxpayers' money just for those substantive contracts. That six billion is, you know, for for the hotels. So. Imagine what we could be doing with that money if we just said, here's your asylum decision, here's your status, here's how we're going to support you to learn English, to learn about life in the UK, and off you go. Crack on. Crack on with your lives.
look at the nationalities in small boat crossings, around two thirds of the people coming in, in, in um, small boat crossings, just looking at their nationalities would be highly likely to receive refugee status. We're talking about huge numbers of Afghans and the Afghan numbers are rising and rising and rising. So in 2022, there were 8,600 Afghans in small boats. And in the same period, we resettled 22 people from Afghanistan on the UNHCR resettlement pathway. So 22 offered a visa for a safe route and 8,600 came on small boats. So there's 8,600 Afghans sitting in that backlog that you should be giving status to like that because there's no there's no dispute, there's no argument. Sudanese, in the last two months, the number of Sudanese has doubled in small boats because there's, there's a war there and there's no visas that they can access. So of course they're going to start making irregular journeys. You've got Iranians, Eritreans, those top nationality demographics are all refugee-producing situations, give them status. What can take so long? Why are you leaving them festering in a hotel with Richard Tice shoving cameras in their faces? We as taxpayers pet spending £6 million and you're refitting barges. How much is that costing us? And you're giving half a million to France and then you're going to spend three to £6 billion a year on Rwanda all to satisfy a bloodthirsty lust for cruelty to migrants. Because I can't see any sense in this, apart from we just want to be really horrible to migrants. Uh, it also seems to that this um, becomes the part of the narrative that we're all discussing when they never had to explain what they has high levels of legal immigration so they have an understanding on on some level how important it is economically and um but rather than explain that or justify the decisions they're, they're quite happy to for this to dominate the conversation mm. um and yeah like you said lots of things you've said are very clear to me and make a lot of sense that you could imagine an opposition leader being able to explain how money has been wasted and how it would be better invested. So it would be good. It would be nice to have a, because at the moment with when Labour and Conservatives are both sort of on a, created a consensus that yes, we do need to stop birds and lower numbers, etc. Rather than explaining why uh, we have high immigration, why it's necessary and a good thing, and also why we need to have an efficient system where we're able to process claims, and that will, will be less costly. Uh, economically and socially, uh, than doing this ludicrous theatre that we're doing now and the cruel, cruel theatre. It's a, it's just a bit maddening, isn't it? It is an absolute theatre. It's pantomime. Labour have a problem if they win by not standing against this rhetoric, by not saying no. What you're saying is wrong. We need visa reform we need to understand why people are coming to the uk give them access to safe routes and have a, an efficient asylum process that 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 can give good good quality quick decisions um what happens when labor if labor win the election and they continue the same vein because they've contributed to whipping up 
public misunderstanding of what's going on. How do they back away from that if they win? They probably can't back away from it. Um, in which case they're going to continue a similar vein of policies, probably not as pernicious, I, I don't think they would, but a similar vein of anti-migrant approaches. And it's not going to work because none of these policies, they're not policies, none of these anti-migrant stunts are going to work. What will, even if, even if um, Rwanda is ruled lawful, uh, which is a big if, um, this, the, 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 the most that will happen is that people wanting to travel to the UK that are frozen out of the visa system will go back to their pre-COVID patterns of travel, which is backs of lorries and, and hiding on, on trains uh, and entering the UK undetected and not claiming asylum. Uh, because there'll be no incentive for them to claim asylum, because if you claim asylum, you're going to be chucked on a barge and then shipped yeah. to Rwanda, right? So you're going to see a growth in um, undocumented, unknown people in really horrible, probably highly exploitative situations. Um, and, and that should worry all of us. No one wants that uh, in the UK at all. No one wants that for those humans. Um, so if, if if Labour continue with that similar vein of not actually grasping the reality, not communicating the reality, um, then it's a real long-term worry, actually. You know, we could say, oh, you know, this government is objectively, you know, bonkers in some of what it's proposing. But where's the anti? What's the reasonable, proportionate... Um, solutions here and not hearing a lot of them. It's similar rhetoric in maybe a, a, a watered down, a, di a diet Tory rhetoric that we're hearing. And, and that that's a real worry in terms of longer term. When are we going to get back to the position of saying some people need to come to the UK? Let's have a safe process and let's have an efficient, well-managed process for managing uh, that uh, that everyone's happy with, that makes sense from a taxpayer's perspective, is humane, respectful and dignified for the people going through it. That shouldn't be revolutionary. For the amount of money we're spending, that should be a given. There's no need to be chucking people on barges. Or sending them to Rwanda. <laughs> or sending them to Rwanda, absolutely. Like, let's, um, let's tackle illegal migration by forcing people to a country that they don't have any connection or attachment with or have never been to. That, it's like what you said at the offset, stop small boats by putting them on bigger ones. <laughs> um, stop irregular migration, stop human trafficking by trafficking humans. And then saying it will, it's good for Rwanda because it will grow their economy and <laughs> Rwanda's a great country. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, well, when, we could grow our economy. Uh, if when, it's so great, then, why do we have to force them to go? You know, Rwanda as a country, I think it was in 2018, um, there were, they, they, they shot and killed refugees in Rwanda. It, it, you know, very recent memory. Um, we know that, that, you know, particularly for LGBT refugees, there's serious and significant concerns about LGBT refugees in Rwanda. Parking all of that, whether it's Rwanda or any other country, 
people um, all the Home Office have done quite a lot of research on why people make small uh, small boat crossings and regular journeys to the UK. And their research suggests that it's mainly one of three reasons. Um, one, because they speak English and they want to be in an English-speaking country, understandably, as, as, as we would if we were forced to flee. Secondly, that they have, crucially, that they have family here. Um, and our family reunification uh, legal pathways are completely broken. It's a really difficult system to navigate. Uh, so they make an irregular journey and hope to claim asylum because uh, then they can reunify with their family informally. And the third reason, um, uh, colonial links and ties and that perception of Britain as being a fair and safe country. Um, now, if you look at all of those reasons, uh, Rwanda doesn't address any of that. No offshore no offshore asylum processing, whatever, is, is ever, it's not rooted in the reasons people want to come here, people feel they need to come here. So even if it was a completely different country that was objectively safe, it's still not right for us to be trading a human to that country when there's a compelling reason for them needing to be in the UK. It's interesting because you look at, I talked about the, the, the nationalities of the boat crossings um, and the growth of Sudanese um, people. You know, Sudan was a British colony up until quite recently. You know, it's got a, we had quite a bloody history in Sudan and um, there's nothing, we're not doing anything there to help people gain safety. And then you compare that with Ukraine, the only country with an open visa route to the UK um, that, that, that's experiencing conflict at the moment. Um, and interestingly, there's been zero Ukrainians on small boats, none, because they've got an access to a visa route. Whereas Sudanese, Afghanistan, Iran, Eritrea, all significant protection concerns, no visa route. And those are all of the nationalities you see on small boats. So for the government to then paint those people on small boats as being somehow illegal or breaking into our country, jumping the queue, there is no queue. There's nothing. We're not doing anything for those countries. And that's why they're coming on small boats. That's what yeah, I was interested to say, jumping the queue. Yeah, that's rhetoric. That's the rhetoric, but then we don't have to exp that makes it sound like there's a system there that's working and people are cheating it rather than it, that being the only bit that works mm. and the rest of it being a mess.
Well, anyway, thank you for coming on again, Louise. <laughs> um, the, I mean, it would just be good to know a bit about, yeah, your kind of day-to-day, -day, like, in your job. I know you say you, you, you like, work with, you, you speak to migrants face-to-face, -face, so be a bit, uh, really interesting to know, yeah, what your kind of day-to-day -day looks like. Yeah, um, I mean, it varies. So a large part of my job is supporting um, other charities, the, the the sector, the refugee and asylum sector is it just feels like a neutron bomb's gone off in it, to be honest. There's 17, there's 170,000 people in the asylum system at the moment, and the sector just wasn't built for that. Um, so, you know, the traditional refugee charities are really struggling to reach people. You know, there's people, hotels cropping up everywhere and shutting down and humans being shunted around left right and center we've got barges opening up so there's a lot of community organizing and new community groups coming in so i'm doing quite a lot of work with them um and then it varies into doing client work as well and actually working with the poor folk uh in the asylum system um and i guess you know to contextualize it we're talking about people work waiting years in the asylum system the home office and it still says on their website you'll get a decision within six months will yes. you my eye it actually says that so that, that actually says that on the website still still so. says that on the website still says that i checked it last week they're still citing their six month service standard um and to just give you an idea of how far away they are from that um of all of the people that claimed asylum in small boats in 2022, in the last year, 1% have received a decision and something like 14% since 2018. Since 2018, that's how far away they are from their six month service standards. So people are waiting years in this crippling system without status, without the right to work, waiting for a letter from the Home Office to invite them into a screening interview, trying to navigate a system in a different language in a way that you, country you don't understand. There's a real poverty of legal representatives, immigration advice, because again, all of the infrastructure wasn't built for 170,000 people. You know, it was, it was built for maybe a third of those people. So it's really tricky to try and get people the right information, the right support. They're very lost in the system. And then they're living in crippling poverty on £9 a week in a hotel that they've been shunted in from a private provider, a profit-making private provider. You know, that the, the, the vast majority of our money is going to shareholders in this. It is going to, you know, the shareholders of Serco who are one of the key asylum accommodation providers. Um, and it's it's got a real... With, we're already talking about traumatised people. These are already people that have experienced horrific conflict. You will see people in the asylum system that bear the physical scars on their body of torture. You will see people that have seen children that have seen executions in the street huge trauma and then they're stuck in a system here that grinds them day in day out 
most people could live on nine pound a week for a week or two. But when you're living in that on that indefinitely, year after year, it 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 just destroys you. It, it it's a slow form of death. So mental health crisis, suicidal ideation, self-harm are becoming really prevalent. Some tragic losses uh, a couple of weeks ago, particularly one young Afghan man, uh, a child, um, wrongly age assessed, who, who took his life. Um, so this is becoming a real feature of our asylum system. And this is preventable damage, this is preventable trauma. This isn't a global war and conflict that's causing this trauma. This is our systems. This is this is hostility within the UK that's causing this damage to people. And then if they're lucky, they might get a decision. They might get a positive decision. And then it's like, okay, here's your 28 days notice. You're out. Go and find yourself somewhere to live. Go and sort out your own benefits. But you might have spent three, four, five, six years in that situation. There's no rehabilitation. There's no integration there. How do you repair yourself after that debilitation of that asylum system? So, I, and I say this a lot. We want Britain, we all want Britain to be a cohesive, diverse um society where everyone has good standards of living. We want good employment prospects. We want good educational outcomes. We want good health outcomes. The more you punish someone in an asylum system, the more hostile you make that, the longer you keep them there incubating in that, that system, the much less likely it is that they're going to have a good outcome for their life in the UK. The more damage you inflict, the more people will struggle. They'll struggle to get a job. They'll struggle to learn English. They'll struggle to integrate. How do you learn how to learn English? How do you learn what life in the UK is about when you're stuck on a barge, on, the, on a port somewhere? And that's what this government needs to really grasp. Start treating people better. The more you support them, the more they'll be able to rebuild, reintegrate in the UK and become a real asset to our country. Because the people I work with, I always describe them as the most extraordinary, ordinary people. They've had to... They're, they're like... They're superheroes, not in a cape and a mask way, but in an everyday keep-your-family-safe way. They've, they've taken their family on god-awful journeys to get them safe, and they're trying to protect them through an awful asylum system. They're trying to scrap all the money together to pay for their kids' school uniforms. How, how do you do that? Simply getting your child a school uniform on that money. And they manage it. Um, they're extraordinary, and they've got so much to bring to our country. Um, and that's all they want to do. Every single person I meet says, when am I going to get my decision? And why won't they let me work? Why, why can't I take care of my own family here? I don't want to be in this hotel. I don't want to have 
idiots like Richard Tice on my doorstep, shocking cameras in my face. They just want to protect their family and protect themselves and rebuild. And I can't answer that question. And I, I really want to take Robert Jenry and Rishi Sunak and Braverman, sit them in front of those people and I say, answer their questions because they're, they're reasonable questions, they're sensible questions. These aren't, these aren't unrealistic asks. When am I going to get my decision and why can't I work? This is not ideological. It's not, you know, high in the sky things. These are sensible people asking for sensible things. It's absolutely mad that we uh, don't allow them to work and then, then they're cast as freeloaders as well. Um, it just makes no sense. Just the, make it so they can't look after themselves or, or, or earn their own money um, is absolutely crazy. I mean, the system top from bottom it just is just sort of madness, but that's such a simple thing. It's just, it just seems so bizarre. The government rationale for that is, oh, no, we can't let them work because then they'll integrate and it'll be harder for them to leave. <laughs> They're here for bloody years. They're here for years waiting for an asylum decision. Like, in that time, I'm guessing by the sounds of it, they were not exactly getting uh, regular updates and on the progress. Um, or, so then they're, they're sort of in a, in a purgatory because I mean that was the worst thing. If you really don't know when you might, you know, get any news, you know, how long you're going to wait. It's like being put in jail and not told how long your sentence is. Well, precisely that, and 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 literally for some people, it is exactly that. You know, if they're put in immigration detention, it's indefinite, and they might, you know, they're 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 there for as long as you know the decision maker feels that they should be there. Um, and the other thing as well is, um, for uh, some people are put in now uh, detained into prisons indefinitely. So not even Im immigration removal centres, but but into into prison environments, um, and they will be in in HMP facilities, um, and and they'll be there indefinitely. It's it's otherworldly. It's I feel sometimes if we could connect people, if we could take you know the average human on the street and connect them with reality of life in the asylum system, if we could convey those humans' stories, the humans that I meet every day, then people would see through this and they wouldn't let government get away with this. Um, and I often think how we can be better at that. How can I be better at that? How can I connect people more with that reality? You know, I grew up on a council estate in London. My parents were... You know, everyday working class parents. My dad was a plumber. My mum had three jobs as a as a teacher and a secretary and a receptionist just to keep us, you know, fed and, and clothed. I didn't come from a a lofty sort of academic liberal middle class liberal background. I didn't grow up in an environment where you talked about you know, protection and global issues and global politics. It was it was very very working class and nuts and bolts. We we lived very much in a in a sort of survival mentality. And when I so I, so I didn't approach this work from a sort of idealistic, I want to help refugees kind of perspective. 
I was a caseworker. It was a job I started working with refugees, and it blew my mind. Well, what do you what do you think the 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 ordinary person can do about this if they they feel motivated to do something about it, or just the like? Me, you know, <laughs> what can I do? Like, I, I care about that. What can I do about I think, it? I think um, yourself and, and for everyone you come into contact with, I, I, I strongly think a lot of our problems is down to our media. Our politicians get away with what they do because our media is so poor at telling the truth and holding them to account in this country. So it, surround yourself with better media. Um, open your eyes to what's really going on. The stories are out there. There's some great journalists and great broadcasters in this space, but they're harder to find. So I think go, go and look for that better media out there. Um, and um, the second thing I say is understand that there's a lot of lost people in every community now. There's something like 300 and odd asylum hotels surrounded by hostility. Um, understand that there will be lost asylum seekers, lonely people, that they don't pose a threat to you. This is all nonsense. You know, this othering language um, around this migrant invasion is nonsense. People want to learn English. They want to learn about the UK. So, you know, be mindful of that in your communities. And, and, and you can, if you, you know, not everyone's got loads of money, not everyone's got loads of time, but if you have got a little time, go and look up your local city of sanctuary movement who are doing some fantastic work in hotels. Um, there's lots of refugee welcomes groups in communities all over the UK now. Have a Google, find your local Facebook group for refugee support. And even if it's just nipping in for a coffee on a Saturday morning to chat with folk, it, it means the world to people, it really does. There's also you can join things like asylum visitors organisations that go into immigration detention centres just to build relationships with people. But if you don't have a lot of time, whoever your MP is, Tory, Liberal, Green, unless you're in Brighton, it's not going to be Green, Tory, Liberal, <laughs> Labour, um, demand better of them all. Demand better of them all. Let's improve this political narrative around people. Ask your MP what they're doing to stand in opposition to this awful bill. Um, it, it, similarly, if you have any relationships with, with peers, you know, some people have local high-profile peers in your community. The Lords are key in this bill. This debate from the Lords is going to be really, really crucial. I think when you're, you know, if you've got social media, spread, spread the reality of this situation. Our government is lying to us. They lie to us every day about this situation um, and I think amplify the truthful voices in this space so that we can start to cut through that. So the individuals don't have to accept the, the narrative that we're being given, especially when it's clear that uh, it, it's such a distraction from how the government's failing in so many different areas. We're looking a bit grim. <laughs> I just laugh at it. <laughs> so I'll get, I'll round it up. Uh, it does make me laugh sometimes. This subject, in a, in a not in a, not in a ha ha way, but we've as we've been yeah. talking in the podcast about looking ahead to returning to this subject. You know, we do sort of, yeah, we'll, we'll be shouting at each other, "Stop the birds!" and put them on bigger birds, because it 
it's just fit for ridicule. It's not funny, but it's just it, it's so yeah, it's absurd, isn't it? And it's, it's just it's, it's, I really it's consider so desperate a new, as well. Yeah. A, a really low, and you know, uh, <laughs> pains are to say it, but it just kind of you know, you just when I'm seeing prime minister in front of these slogans, all sort of reasonable government aims, and then it gets down to stop the boats. And I just think, you know, when not that's not you're not a serious country. No. <laughs> not a serious country. No, and and you know, it was it, it, the I'm not the kind the, of person to say people get annoyed this you know, so I would used to be the kind of person who would get annoyed about people saying that. You could, oh, you know, come on, you know, everyone hates on their own country, uh and can be too cynical. But at the moment I just so fed up. You know, that's I think how I feel. It's so it's it's gone. It's gone to another level. I think of ridiculousness. And I think the thing is with the stop the boats thing. Um, you remember the Grace tragedy a few years ago with no. the people that died in the back of the container oh, lorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I've yeah. just bits. <laughs> there's been quite. Uh, sadly, there's been quite a few tragedies. Uh, but Grace tragedy really sticks in my mind. You know, mm. and that was before boats. That was when people were smuggling themselves in the back of lorries, when people were clinging onto Eurostars and on the uh, uh, underneath the Eurostars. Irregular migration is not new. It's always been there because we've never had an open visa system. So, yes, stop the boats. What about the lorries? What about the... Because that's all that's going to happen. You're just going to displace those crossings back. And then we're going to see more tragedies like we did in Grays. Um, with 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 humans suffocating to death, so uh, it's just a, it's a it's a gimmick. It's, but but it is so limited compared to the countries in, in. We seem to think that we're being particularly under siege. There's something in that little Britain mentality, though, isn't there? That uh, islander, that islander British exceptionalism, isn't there? Like it's like you know that's what Braverman summoned. They're quite very clever at tapping into that. Little Britain mentality. She summoned it when she said there is an invasion off our south coast, knowing full well she was talking about forty-five thousand people. She stood in Parliament and said, "We there is an invasion on our south coast," and that just sort of seems to peak the whole dad's army rhetoric, doesn't it? And it's like that that they're boats, they're coming on boats, they're attacking. It's fine, it's fine. let them suffocate in lorries. Let them cling on yeah. the back of trains. Don't come in boats, because that's like that islander mentality that the, 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 the Tories are really tapping into, and they know what they're doing. It's very pernicious. It's very toxic, and it's so damaging to us, to us as a country and our psyche. It is, it is. They record the beaches, and it's like, right, uh, that's the invasion. That's pretty fucking pathetic yeah, invasion. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just. <laughs> Just have them, have, give them roots here and process them. And, uh, it's, uh, anyway. Well, as much as it would be lovely to plumb the depths further, I think we should give you some time back, Louise. You've yes, given us sorry. enough. Thank no, you very much for coming on and painting a hugely grim picture. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry. Hopefully, hopefully I can come back and I'll be like, yes, we've won, oh, you know, fixed. Rwanda Magic. isn't happening and we've, we've yes, got rid of the barges. We're certainly happy to have you back sometime. Thank you for coming yeah, on. Be great, yeah. It's been lovely to meet you guys. Yeah, you lovely too. to meet you too. Thank, Thank you. you very much for coming on.
You're welcome. Take care. Yeah, you take too. care. Bye-bye. 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 See you.